Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. A uh, few of you reminded me that back in June, I was praying that the Padres would get back to 500. And a few of you have suggested that I should have been more specific with the timing of when I wanted to see that happen. So anyway, hey, welcome friends. So grateful that you're here today. My name is Ryan and I'm one of our pastors and it's just a joy to open the scriptures with you today. It, it took over two years to build. 15,000 people worked on it. It was 882 feet long and over 100 feet tall. The Titanic was the largest vessel in the water at the time that it was built in 1912. How many of you have heard the story of the Titanic before? Okay, a few of you, a few of you. Um, you, you know that there were uh, roughly uh, 200 and, uh, or 2,220 people on board. And on April 14th of 1912, after four days of blissful sailing in the ocean, the Titanic struck an iceberg. And the message over Morse code was, we have struck iceberg, sinking fast, come to our assistance. That was effectively the epitaph of the lives of 1,200 people who found themselves, themselves in a watery grave that night. But the story of the Titanic is not the story of a, of a ship that failed. The story of the Titanic is the story of a leader who failed. Captain Edward Smith had gotten seven messages that there were icebergs in the water that he was sailing into. Seven. And he ignored every single one of them, believing that the ship that he was on was unsinkable. The story of the Titanic is not the story of a ship that failed. It's the story of a captain who failed. January 15th, 2009, flight 320 of U.S. Airways took off out of LaGuardia Airport. It was captained by Chesley Sullenberger. Shortly after takeoff, the plane flew into a flock of Canadian geese, which isn't good. Those geese plugged up the engines and effectively turned this massive airplane into a glider. And Chesley had moments to try to figure out what to do. Drawing on decades of experience as a captain, he decided that it was too much to try to get back to the airport in LaGuardia. And he sort of computing in his mind in real time decided the only place that they could effectively land was on the Hudson River. So you probably know the story that he turns his plane into a glider, glides down onto the Hudson, and every single one of the 155 passengers aboard survive. I tell you those two stories to make the simple point that your captain matters. Your captain matters. Every single one of us has a captain. That we have a, a shepherd, a leader, a voice, a guide in our lives that we follow. It may be you, it may be someone else, but every single one of us has a captain and our captain matters. That's exactly what Jesus is going to say in John chapter 10. So. If you have a Bible, will you turn there with me? Let me remind you of 
the context of what's been going on over these last few chapters in John. Jesus went up to Jerusalem and was in the temple to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And during that feast, he said, I'm living water. Come to me and drink. At the end of the feast, he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. And the religious leaders of his day knew that he was claiming to be God. He was claiming things that nobody else would have the audacity to claim. And they picked up stones to try to stone him in the temple. And he walked out of the temple. And as he's walking out, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And he healed that man and opened his eyes. The only problem was he did it on the Sabbath. What are the chances of that? And so the religious leaders, once again, were upset with Jesus. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And so once again, they start to get into an argument and listen to the way that that argument ended. Verse 40 of chapter 9 says this. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Like Jesus, is this... Is this whole, this whole event set up as a parable to tell us that we're like that blind man? That, that we can't see? That we can't see the work of God? That we can't see reality right in front of us? Jesus, are you saying that we are blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, or if you'd admit that you're blind, or recognize that you're blind, or see that you can't see, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. That would be the best thing for you, to just simply admit you can't see. But now, now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. The fact that you are unwilling to acknowledge the light right in front of you, that's the very thing that makes you guilty. And it's straight from there that we lead into John chapter 10. Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, and listen to the way this chapter begins. Um, it's not going to be on the screen, at least initially, but beginning in chapter 10, verse 1. Are you there? Wonderful. Here we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Those are fighting words. But he who enters the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I love that last line. Just in case we're in the dark today, we're in good company. So were the first people who heard Jesus teach this. But he goes on and he goes, let me, let me, let me try it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus says, by way of contrast, I came that they, that the sheep may have life and may have it abundantly. 
I am the, say it with me, church, the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, this is an extended metaphor that Jesus is going to use to describe his relationship to his people. It it, it describes both what he does and how he feels about his people. And some metaphors work better in different times um, throughout the years and in different places than other metaphors work. Now, this metaphor as a good shepherd might work really well um, if you were sort of raised around sheep or have shepherding experience. How many of you do? Okay, a few of you. How many of you grow up in the burbs or the city and you're going, a shepherd, wow, I've heard of sheep before. My, my, my understanding of sheep is that Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, that lamb was sure to go, right? For some, some of us, that's our extent of a knowledge of shepherding. So let's unpack the metaphor a little bit. And before you think to yourself, how cute, Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. You just need to know this is not a compliment. Sheep were extremely dumb. No offense. They were weak. They were helpless animals. When sheep get out, they wander and they inevitably get themselves into trouble. Um, uh, On Instagram, I saw a reel this week that I think just perfectly captures the way that this often goes in our life. This is actual footage of Jesus rescuing me from my horrible decisions. Praise be to God, my good shepherd has found me. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Anybody wanna say amen? That's the way it sometimes goes. Not only that, Not only that, but sheep require meticulous and almost constant intentional care. Sheep are what you might call high maintenance. There was this sheep that got away from the rest of the flock and was wandering in the Australian wilderness. And he wandered for so long that his wool continued to grow to the point where when he was finally found, the sheep had 78 pounds of wool on him. So much wool, his name was Barak, that he was effectively blinded by his own wool that he had insects in his wool that were eating away at him and making him sick and that he had gotten an ulcer because he had so much wool on him. Repeat after me, I am a sheep. (laughs) Turn to the person next to you and say, you're looking a bit sheepy this morning. You're looking a bit sheepy. And in so many ways, in so many ways, the sheep are, are at the mercy of their shepherd. It's the reason that the early church latched onto this image of Jesus as the good shepherd, as their prevailing metaphor of the way that they thought about their good God. Listen to the way that Kenneth Bailey put it. He said, on no image does the early church seem to have dwelt with greater delight than this of Christ as the good shepherd bringing home his lost sheep. In fact, there's been a a fifth century mosaic found in Italy Um, thought to have been created by the early church of Jesus as his good shepherd feeding and tending to his lambs. It's interesting, as you read through the seven I am statements in John's gospel, this is by far the most intimate 
and the most personal of any of the I am statements. But what I want you to realize is that for Jesus, being the good shepherd means that he stands in contrast and in conflict with the other voices that vie for our attention. He's giving this teaching effectively to not only to his followers, but also to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day saying, I'm the good shepherd, you are all bad shepherds. He calls them thieves, robbers, strangers, and wolves. This is a polemic against the way that they have taken advantage of people rather than serving people, the way that they've used their power to dominate over rather than lift others up. And Jesus is dancing with a prophetic word from Ezekiel when God told Ezekiel to write this. He said, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel. This is the word against them. And say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Oh, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. You are supposed to feed them, but you're feeding on them. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. And Jesus is going after them. He claims that they only want to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if it seems like Jesus is harsh in this passage against those religious leaders, he is because he's fighting for your joy. He wants you to realize you've boarded a ship. And if you're on the wrong ship with the wrong captain, there is only death and destruction that awaits. But he goes, listen, I'm the good shepherd and I long for you to have life. Not just life, but abundant life. That word abundant in the Greek could quite literally mean more than expected or surprising. The, the word life is the Greek word zoe. We've talked about it uh, a few weeks. And it, it means more than just taking a breath or more than just existing. But it's the kind of life where you drink deeply in of God's grace and mercy. Look around you and say, I cannot believe that this is the life you've called me to. God, that you've provided for me. It is good to be alive. It's not just the kind of life that lasts forever. It's the kind of life that you want to last forever. That's zoe. And I think what Jesus is effectively saying, if we put both of those abundant and life together, what Jesus is saying is that he came, listen to this, he came so that you and I might have more life than we could have ever expected. That it would be bursting out of every pore and every fiber of our being. I don't know if you remember last spring when we got a lot of rain and there were some of the hills uh, in Southern California around us, that around us that experienced the super bloom. Do you remember this? And um, if you got to drive around and see it, just the colors just exploding out of the hillsides. This is abundant zoe. This is abundant life. This is the invitation that the good shepherd is holding out for you and for me. He wants to turn your life into a super bloom. And here's what he knows. He knows that the voice you're following determines your flourishing. The voice that you follow will determine whether or not you experience that abundant life 
or whether or not you experience life getting stolen and destroyed. And those are the only two options. There is no neutral ground in the universe. You either experience life with the good shepherd or life is stolen, killed, and destroyed. That's it. So here's the question. My guess is every person in Jesus's original audience is, is asking this question, Jesus, what gives you the audacity to claim that you are the good captain, the good shepherd, and that you are worthy of being followed? That's a good question. I'm so glad you asked that because I wanna spend the next few minutes just unpacking four ways that Jesus is the good shepherd. And luckily for us, in case we can't follow his extended metaphor here, he tells us in the text why he is that good of a shepherd. Go back to verse one with me and listen to what he said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief or a robber. Go down to verse seven, because he's gonna unpack this picture a little bit more. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is the first of the I am statements in this passage. Um, it, it, it evokes an imagery, but less emotion. I am the door. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, back in Jesus's day, shepherds would have at night stored their sheep in a pen. And, and that pen would have been butted up against either a house or like a, a rock wall or a mountain of some sort so that they would build the pen sort of with the, the house or the mountain in the back. And then they would have a door in the front. This is a picture of a shepherd sitting in one such door. So no animal no predator, nothing could get in and out of the pen unless it came through the door, right? And so when Jesus says, I am the door, I'm your good shepherd and I am the door, what he's saying is that he protects you, that he protects you. Nothing comes into your life if it doesn't first go through him. Think about that. Nothing comes into your life if it does not go through the door. And Jesus is saying, I am the door and I will protect you and I will keep you safe, not from all sickness, but I will keep you safe from anything that would war against your soul. I think Jesus is painting a picture of the way that he will spiritually protect us and get us to the finish line that he has designed and destined us for. But you need to know that sheep are vulnerable. And let me remind you, you are a sheep. We are vulnerable. Here's what I, I just, I want, I want to also remind you that although you're vulnerable, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Can I get an amen? And that those, um, I just want you to know, those, those, those fears that maybe you're carrying, the anxiety that's just sort of riddled and deep within your heart, I just wonder if you picturing Jesus at the door of your life, how does it change the fear that you're wrestling with? How does it change the anxiety that you're carrying? He's at the door right now. He's the good 
shepherd. Anything that comes through your and into your life comes through him. He's a good shepherd and he protects. Second, jump down to verse three with me. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. Everyone say by name. And he leads them out. Jump down to verse 14 with me. Where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus is claiming that unlike the religious leaders of his day in Israel, that he not only cares about his sheep, but he knows each of them intimately, even knows them and you by name, by name. Eugene Peterson wrote and said, the personal name is the most important part of speech in our language. He knows your name. That means you have significance to him. You are not a number. You are not part of a voting block in order to get something done. You are not a pawn to be moved around in order to be used for power. You are a person created in the image of God, and he knows your name. The scriptures would also say that he values you so much that he knows how many hairs are on your head. For some of us, he's got a running count. Some of us, we just wish he cared enough to keep more hairs on our head. Can I get an amen, right? He knows. He created you and he knows that you are unique. It's not just a flock of sheep. It is individual sheep. And when one gets lost, he goes after them because you are significant. You are unique. He knows your name. That's what he says. He says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep. There's a story um, that Tim Keller told, and it was of a, of a shepherd who had sold a number of sheep. And as he was in a train, it was going down the tracks, and he looked out onto the hillside, and he saw a number of sheep grazing on this hillside. He looked at the person who was sitting across from him on the train, and he said, there's four of my sheep right there. He knew them that well. My... Um, my oldest son just started playing football and it's fun to, to see him play and to watch. And um, one of the things that I've noticed about watching is that I can't always see the numbers, but I know which one is my son. I know because of the way that he walks. I know because of the way that he celebrates. <laughs> right? I know because of the way that he shrugs his shoulders and puts his head down. I know because I know him. And God feels the exact same way about you. He knows the burdens that you bring into these doors today. He knows the, the sleepless nights with things just dancing in your head. He knows that some of you, it's, it's all that you can do to get out of bed and walk in these doors. He knows that you doubt that he really loves you, that he sees you, that you think all of this is true for everybody except you. He knows, he sees, and he says, I call them by name. They're mine. 
That's how he feels about you. He's the good shepherd. And, and I love that he says, in verse 14, he says, I know my own and my own know me. Like he, he loves you so much that he wants you to know him also. This is a two-way street with the God of the universe, you guys. Like this should make us go, no way! The King of Kings and Lord of Lords who created everything that we see around us and spoke the stars into space. That God cares about me, like wants to know me, not only knows my name, that's shocking, but cares if, if I know his. Oh my goodness, you guys, I hope that we haven't been around this story for so long that we no longer hear it. That should just, we should just close in prayer. Some of you are like, all right, fine, let's do that. Well, I've got two more characteristics of the good shepherd before we can do that. So, three. Verse three. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls them, or he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he's brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. A shepherd's day would begin around dawn, and they would go to the pen if they weren't sleeping in the door, and one of the other shepherds was sleeping in the door because they would have four or five flocks in the same pen to keep them safe at night. A shepherd would go to the door and would play a flute or give a call and say to his sheep, come on. And his sheep would know, that's my shepherd. And they would follow him, everybody say follow, through the streets of the town. He would walk them out into the countryside and they would begin their day with breakfast. After breakfast, they would go and find water. After water, they would go and he would make them lie down in green pastures. Because he wanted them to have rest for their souls. After resting, he would get them up. They would go back to have more water. They would go to dinner, and then he would lead them back through the streets into the pen to be safe at night. He gave them food. He gave them water. He gave them shelter. He gave them protection. But all of it came from the good shepherd saying, follow me. Follow me. You know my voice. Follow me. And he's the good shepherd because he protects, because he knows, and because he guides. And I want you to notice that the good shepherd leads them. He goes out before. The metaphor is not Jesus saying, I'm the good cattle driver. And he gets behind us and he's like, whoosh, 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 come on, go, go. No. He's the good shepherd saying, will you follow? I know you've got your own ideas about where you're going to find nutrients and water and green pastures. I know you've got your ideas about what's going to lead to the super bloom in your life, what's going to lead to abundant life, but will you choose to lay all of that down and follow me? Will you follow me through the streets with all the other voices saying this way, this way, this way? Will you follow me to the pasture? Will you actually lie down? Will you let go of your own ideas of what it looks like to have a love life that flourishes, have a financial life that flourishes, let go of the anxiety that cripples? Will you, will you follow my voice and learn to say yes to me? That's the question that Jesus holds out 
for every single one of his followers. And I love most days that Jesus doesn't give us a map. He gives us himself. And I say most days because some days a map seems really nice. Can I get an amen? Like a map, you get to know where you're going. A map, you're like, well, it looks like this way is going to be a little bit easier. And I think there's a lake over there. A map gives us control. But Jesus doesn't give us a map. He gives us himself. He doesn't give us control. He gives us a guide himself. And he says, will you follow me? And I think there's some people, you walk into these doors every single week and you're hoping that God gives you a map to follow so that you can still be in control and that you can get to the place that he wants you to get. And he goes, listen, I'm not giving you a map. I'm giving you myself. I'm the guide. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Because I've got good in store for you. I love the way that the apostle Paul would put it to the church in Rome. He said in Romans 8, 14, for all, everyone say all, all, who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Every single person who Jesus calls his own can hear his voice. In fact, that's how you know who his own are. Following the voice of the Good Shepherd is not for some, it's for all. So let me get, let me get really practical here and give you three ways that you can hear God's voice, okay? Three ways. None of these are gonna be new, but I would encourage you to write them down so that throughout this week, you can go back to them and say, God, how have I heard your voice here in the past and how might you want me to hear it as we walk into the future together? Number one, number one, we hear his voice through scripture. We hear his voice through scripture. And I'm not talking about just reading scripture. I'm talking about letting scripture read you. I'm talking about when you're reading scripture and it just brings you to your knees or something hits your heart in a way where you just know the spirit of God has made that passage alive in a way that it wasn't alive to you before. Where God would say something like, that's for you. Let me give you an example. Um, just from my time in scripture this week. Um, I got a text message from somebody on Sunday night, uh, right after our uh, gathering last week, our worship service last week. And it was a video of this woman who was testifying that God healed her physically during our nine o'clock service in praying after our message. Just, and I was just praising God, this ailment that she'd been wrestling with for years and years and years, and God touched her and God healed her. And I was reading through just my normal read through the Bible and um, I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and I came upon this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 and it said this, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And for me, I don't think it was a word for anybody else necessarily, it was a word for me that God is at work in a unique way in our body. And it was a call for me to, to lean in and to say, God, I, I long to see you do more and more. I long to see you heal. I long to see you restore. I long to see you renew. And for me, this was a way of God saying, now's a favorable time, right? Like I'm doing a good work in your body. Lean into it. Don't resist it. Don't push away, but lean in. And that's the way that he uses scripture oftentimes in order to speak something, not just what's on the page, but also speak to our heart through the power of his spirit. 
Here's a second way. Through prayer. Through prayer. And I'm not talking about the kind of like just mow through it right before you go to bed kind of prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not, not always the way that we hear God's voice when we pray. I'm talking about the kind of prayer where we disposition our heart to just gaze upon his beauty and we open ourselves up to what he might want to speak, not necessarily looking for an answer for anything specific, but just longing to hear from the God of the universe. Did you know that God has something to say to you? And the question is, are you willing to open yourself up to him through scripture, through prayer, and then through other people? If we read through scripture, what we see constantly is God using other people to, church, to encourage, to challenge, to prod along, to speak a prophetic word. That there are ways that God uses people in this body to speak to you that are unique and beautiful and good. And they're the ways that the good shepherd often leads. Now... There's a number of other ways that the good shepherd speaks, but I would say that they tend to fall within these three categories. And the most prominent is scripture. Anytime you want to hear God's voice, open scripture. Amen? But I think the main questions we have to wrestle with is, do we believe he's a good shepherd? Do you? Do you want to learn to hear his voice? Because oftentimes it takes learning. And then finally, are you willing to say yes? When he leads, when he prompts, are you willing to say yes and follow him completely? See, the other captains and the other shepherds, they don't care about your soul. They want to use you. They don't care about you. So I think Jesus is sort of dancing with that idea and he anticipates them, the people in his first audience saying, well, how can we be sure that you do care? Yeah, yeah sure, you, you protect and you guide and you know, but how can we know that you care? And Jesus says, here's how, verse 11. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd, say it with me, church, lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves and flees from the sheep and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And just as the father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's going to say it, I think, four times in this passage alone. I lay down my life for the sheep. But in contrast to the other shepherds who just want to consume the sheep, who want to take from the sheep, I'm going to, Jesus says, I'm going to give my life for them. And here's where we see this just paradox explode, hopefully, in our hearts. We see that sheep are helpless and vulnerable and weak. And yet sheep are the treasure of their shepherd. They are the wealth of the shepherd. They're the savings account of the shepherd. They're the joy and frustration of the shepherd. The shepherd loves the sheep. The scriptures would say the Lord's portion is his people. They are his allotted inheritance. 
And as the good shepherd, Jesus loves us so much that he not only protects and knows and guides, he also rescues. He rescues us. He rescues us by giving his own life for us. He rescues us from our enemies of sin and death and evil. He rescues us from eternal separation from a good God who loves us, created us, and owes us. He rescues us from the wages of what our sin deserves. And here's what your sin deserves, friends. From the beginning of scripture to the end, the wages of sin is death. And our good shepherd takes the death that we deserve upon himself, takes the sin that we've perpetuated upon himself. He dies in our place, buries it in the ground, and rises with new life in his hands. Paul would write it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake, for your sake, he made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin. So that in him, we, you, me, all of us, his sheep, might become the righteousness of God. The reformers called this the great exchange the shepherd gives his life for his sheep. There has never been and there never will be a stronger validation, a stronger statement about the value, worth, and dignity of all human life. The shepherd gives himself for his sheep. Most, most of us, Deep down, deep down, we believe if other people really knew us, they'd ditch us. They, they'd, they'd be gone. But here's the beauty of the grace that's in this passage and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows you better than anyone, and he gave himself for you. I love the way that Tim Keller put it. He said this, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. We are sheep through and through. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Somebody say amen. Amen. And it's important for Jesus, for us to know that there's this paradoxical contrast between our sheepness and his love, because when we know that, grace just explodes afresh in our heart. And so he wants to set his coming sacrifice in the right context for his people. And here's what he says. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life. I go to the cross that I might take it up again, that I might be resurrected with new life in my hands. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This is what Jesus wants the people to know. When they look at the cross, they are not seeing evil at its best, overtaking good. They are not seeing darkness, defeating light. They are not seeing hate, defeating evil. When they look at the cross, what are they seeing? They are seeing love on display. No one takes it from me. 
I lay it down of my own accord. This is love on display. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. By this we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us. This is our good shepherd. He loves you that much. In all of your sheepness, in your weakness, in your wandering, in your straying, in your saying to him, I don't want any part of you in all of that. He says, I love you. And I have rescued you from sin and death and evil. And oh, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil. For he is with you, his rod and his staff They will comfort you. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Your cup overflows. And surely, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is your good shepherd. And you may question his hand. God, why did you allow these things to come into my life? God, I don't get how you're moving and how you're working here. I, I, God, I don't, I don't understand. You may question his hand, but because of the cross, you never have to doubt his heart. Amen? Because of the cross, you know exactly how he feels about you. Sacrificial love. He gives himself for you. Oh, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me and for you? And for you. So listen to the end of this passage. It says this, verse 19. There was again a division among the Jewish leaders because of these words. And many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? I just, I love that the leaders accidentally ask the right questions over and over and over. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Why listen to him? There's so many captains out there. There's so many gurus. There's so many voices. There's so many leaders. Why listen to Jesus? Here's my answer. That the cross and resurrection prove that Jesus is the good shepherd. They prove that Jesus is the good shepherd where he says, I'm gonna give my life for my sheep because I value, because I know, because I protect through and through to the end, nothing can separate you from his love. Because I guide, I'm leading them to green pastures and still waters so that their soul is restored and I will rescue them. I will rescue them from the grip of death by giving my life for theirs. Friends, your captain matters. The voice that you follow will determine your flourishing in life. And Jesus's claim is, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who came that you might have abundant life, a super bloom. And I'll do that by protecting. I will do that because I know you. I will do that by guiding you. And I will do that by rescuing you even from death itself. And he proved it all on the cross. The question for us today 
is do we want to be his sheep and will we follow his voice? Let's pray. So Lord, as we prepare to come before your table and to celebrate your life and death, your burial, your resurrection, to proclaim until you come again. I pray that in this time and at this table, you would meet us afresh. Remind us that you're the good shepherd, but you're also the lamb of God who was slain for our redemption, that by your blood, you've made peace between us and God. Speak to us, meet us, lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.